0: Great. Thank you very much. Tom and Jess for reading for us. Uh good evening. I'm Philip Adams. Um good to see you guys. Um so as as usual, I uh, we've got a lot to pack in. So buckle up. Um <laughs> we're we're using the new clicker. <laughs> excitement. Yeah. Um I'm a bit nervous about it, but we'll see how it goes. The buttons are very smooth. Um, We're taking a break from the Holy Mass series this week, Um, but uh, this message is very much linked. Last week, Roger spoke for us um, about adding perseverance to faith. And I want to think in particular tonight um, why meeting together regularly is a key part of perseverance, My title for this evening, Persevering with Church, is a cheeky little wordplay because this passage teaches us that if we're going to persevere through the Christian life, we need to do it together. But that means we're going to have to keep doing it together. So while this passage is fresh in our minds, I'm just going to put it into my own words for us. if you've got a square, sort of rectangular, turquoise thing in front of you, you might want to open that and you might find the passage in it. I think it'd be good to have that in front of you or a mobile device, you can look that up. Feel free to do that. Rustling of pages is always a good sign when you're speaking. And the first person to drop it off their lap on the floor will get a cheer. That's all fine. That always happens to me. So don't worry about that at all. But here's my little paraphrase. It goes like this. Because of what Jesus has done, you can cling on to your heavenly father because he will absolutely keep his promises even when everything around you is telling you otherwise. Knowing that security, do everything you can to help each other as brothers and sisters to keep going because Jesus is coming soon. One more time, because of what Jesus has done, that's called faith. You can cling onto your heavenly father because he will absolutely keep his promises even when everything around you is telling you otherwise. That's called hope. Knowing that security, do everything you can to help each other as brothers and sisters to keep going because Jesus is coming soon. And that encompasses love, faith, hope, and love, three key hallmarks of the Christian life. One thing I want to suggest tonight is that when we lose perspective on God's worldview, the worldview that's presented in this passage, we may struggle to persevere as Christians when real life happens. So what do I mean by God's worldview? Well, let's look back at our passage because as well as faith, hope and love that I think are in there, there's also past, present and future. Verses 19 and 20 talk about stuff that has happened in the past, what Jesus has done on the cross, and actually everything that's built up to that from eternity past. Verses 21 to 25a, kind of the bulk of it really, the first half of 25, talk about here and now, the Christian life. And verse 25b, you could almost miss it, talks about something that's not happened yet, the second coming of Jesus. And that's one way, I think, to describe God's worldview. And what I want to suggest is that when we only focus on the bit in the middle, oh look, we can go back and forward, that's good, um, when we only focus on the bit in the middle and we f- kind of forget the past and the future, we've lost perspective. We're looking at an Instagram post in one by one ratio, a square, maybe, not 9 by 16 widescreen. And much like a a lot of social media, perhaps, it can give us expectations which don't match reality. This is Iceland's Blue Lagoon on Instagram and in real life. Pretty disappointing. Um, So (laughs) let's just have a quick think about expectations versus reality. Uh, Let's take uh, last week's Prime Minister, for example, Liz... (laughs) Someone... That's it. Do you know, I was already beginning to forget her name. I don't know what she was expecting when she first walked into number 10, uh, six or eight weeks ago, however long it was, but I don't think it panned out exactly how she was expecting. But if the thought of UK politics is just too depressing at the moment, we can turn to the world of baking. Um, we've all been there, haven't we? I, th- I mean, there was a lot of planning that went into that. Someone's, someone's tried, it just hasn't quite panned out. got a few more of these to show you. That's pretty. It's a little bit horrifying. I mean, what even happened there? Um, poor Thomas. Oh. And and this one, I just don't even think an effort's been made. I'm not quite sure what happened there. My personal favourite. <laughs> truly, truly, truly horrifying. Um, things don't always things don't always pan out how we anticipate. This is 30 seconds. Oh, right. Coffee. What? No, no, no! Ah, Got you! That one's empty. This is a real one. I've been planning that for ages. The look on your face! (laughs) Jen? Yeah? Don't come in here for a bit. Okay, Um, now we can can work the expectations versus reality. We can do a kind of worked example, I think, of expectations versus reality in our passage tonight from the perspective of me when I'm feeling especially 21st century, Gentile, hedonistic, materialistic, self-centric snowflake, okay? Now, if I ignore the bigger picture, then I could just take verse 22 in isolation where I'm invited to lean into God the Father with no holds barred access as his child and the total inner peace and security of knowing that nothing can change any of that. Hallelujah? Mm -hmm. One person, okay, that's great. Do you believe it? That is a wonderful reality right there on the screen. Couldn't be more amazing. And if you don't know Jesus yet, that is available to you and I'd love to chat with you more about that but if i base my theology for my life only on verse 22 of hebrews chapter 10 then it comes as a bit of a curveball that in verses 23 to 25 there's then there's, there's a whole load of things that i'm supposed to do and uh, the the um yes that's right the the reader uh, the writer commands his readers um hold on to your hope and this word unswervingly that andy used at the start sounds like clinging onto a cup of coffee on a roller coaster to me i mean where's all the security now there's even a hint that we're supposed to to be sharing our faith a a hope we profess in verse 23 we're supposed to help other christians to be good and loving don't give up meeting together encourage each other more and more there's this whole list And look, I'm sure we can't all all see ourselves in my little caricature, and it's obviously not particularly flattering, but I can definitely see myself sometimes. So for various reasons of character and culture, I've got a tendency to think about faith and living as a Christian, as it kind of all having been done for me, and now I can just relax into it like a warm bubble bath and basically chill on my own when it suits me. All right? And then of course my bubble is burst, by the Bible's reality. And apart from the theology, there's the experiential side of things. You know, I can read that verse 22 and spend time in worship like we did earlier and feel really close to God and at peace and all that feels wonderful and victorious. But then my friends, friends and family get sick. Oh, stuff just hits you, doesn't it? My house has some unexpected disaster. Ask me about that another time. Uh, The news is just a horror show. And I'm like, what's going on? Where is God in all of that? Where's the victory now? You know, my expectations of the experience of living as a Christian don't match reality either sometimes because I've lost the bigger picture. And when real life happens, the result can be disillusionment, discouragement, and the risk of despair, giving up hope that God is good and keeps his promises. Well, the book of Hebrews was written to first century Jewish people who had lost sight of the bigger picture. And I think if we can understand their context, it might help us with ours too. They're living under Roman occupation and they'd started to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was their long-awaited Messiah, God's uh, rescuer prophesied about from centuries past. The expectation was that when the Messiah came, it would mean an end to occupation and oppression by foreign powers and a rise to supremacy for Israel, and that it would happen when he came, on the day of the Lord, a phrase they would have known as Jewish people. It first appears in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, and then in a number of later prophecies. And every time in the Jewish scriptures, it's foretelling this day of reckoning when God intervenes on behalf of his people, rescuing them and punishing all who oppose them. And it's here in verse 25. But the reality on the ground in AD 1 feels pretty much the opposite. You know, Jesus has gone. Roman oppression is worse than ever. And now they're being persecuted by their own people as well, with no end in sight. Every reason to give up meeting together, because there's every reason to give up believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And that God is going to keep his promises to rescue and save. And that's quite apart from the writer saying that, you know, being a follower of Jesus now has nothing to do with national identity. It, you know, it's a personal faith. It's all about grace now. There's no ongoing sacrifices or rituals, you know, and, and the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Messiah isn't panning out how they expected. So, theologically, everything seems to have changed. And experientially, life is really hard and there's no end in sight. Disillusionment, discouragement and the risk of despair. So how does the writer address this perilous situation? By opening up the widescreen, teaching them about the past, the present, and the future from God's perspective. So we'll whiz through this, let's start with the past, I think if we did our worked example of expectations versus reality in our passage, again, uh, not from my perspective this time, but from the Hebrew reader's perspective, the surprises, the shocks for them are more likely to be, say, verse 19, because in the Old Testament, for most people, entering the most holy place meant certain death, uh, going into the temple, into that inner part. And as for verse 22, kind of, it's like cuddling up to God, like with the familiarity of a doted upon child. I mean, how does that even fit with everything they've grown up to know? Well, our passage starts with a a therefore, and the, the therefore and the two senses are summarizing nine and a half chapters worth of backstory. Okay, so who loves a prequel? Miriam said that everyone would know what a prequel... Does everyone know what a prequel is? It's a sequel that's set before the original. You love a prequel... Just tell me what your favorite prequel is. Let's just do that for a second. Let's hear it. Uh, Rings of Fire, actually. Lord of the Rings. Very good. There we go. Yeah. You've jumped the gun a bit, but that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Any more? That's it. That's the only prequel that we like in this room. I mean, I'm with you. Okay, fine. Um, I also love uh, Better Call Saul. If you saw Breaking Bad and you haven't seen Better Call Saul, I don't know why that would happen. Um, yeah, I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan, as is Roger. We know that, and um, I loved the Hobbit when that came out as well. That was like kind of prequel to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And now, of course, yeah, we've got the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. Um, we love a prequel. Why is that? Because. Yeah, it, it, gives us, it gives us the background. It, we, we see how we got there um, to, to the bits that we're actually familiar with. It builds the picture, it builds the story, it builds the characters. We feel more invested in the outcomes we already know about. And that's why, if you flick through the book of Hebrews you'll see even just from the publisher's subheadings that it's covering stuff like you know, Moses, Jesus being more important than Moses, being, Jesus being descended from Abraham. It talks about the Sabbath and high priests and angels and the mysterious Melchizedek and covenants and tabernacles and blood and sacrifices. And it's, you know, it's probably all pretty alien to many of us, culturally, certainly. But the original purpose of this book was to help Jewish people understand not just how Jesus had turned everything they'd ever known on its head, but that it was God's plan right from the beginning. It's the origin story, the prequel, it's the backstory. And these readers, I think, need those nine and a half chapters worth to understand why relating to God is all about grace and that Jesus really is the promised Messiah. And that's a start to be able to do verse 19, to enter the most holy place with confidence through the torn curtain. The broken body and blood of Jesus. Well, what about the presence? Has Jesus abandoned his followers? Well, let's look at verse 21. No, he's the great high priest. And you can read more about what that means in uh, chapter 7 to 10 of Hebrews, particularly. But if Jesus is standing before God, representing the people he's died for, then it's possible to start to do verse 22 to draw near to God with a sincere heart. And the full assurance that faith brings. So that's the the present. But what about the future? The work of Jesus doesn't stop because the day of the Lord is yet to come. Uh, You might have expected that it should have all happened by now, says the writer. But the reality is that God's got a different timescale. So why was there this expectation that the day of the Lord should have happened already? Well, if we look at the, the Old and the New Testaments together, we can see um, in many prophecies really, like the day of the Lord, that there are layers of fulfillment. Some in the kind of immediate, right? Steady on. Some in the immediate context of the prophecy, in the, kind of in the foreground, and that happened. So in Isaiah's day, God rescued Israel from a foreign oppressor. But then there's a much kind of bigger layer of fulfillment uh, when Jesus comes and dies on the cross. Uh, and rose to life again, opening the way through the curtain so that we can know and experience God's love and presence right now. But the final fulfillment is yet to come when Jesus returns. And this is the crucial piece of the puzzle, which means that God can still be trusted even when the circumstances are screaming, God's abandoned you. Because Jesus is alive And he's coming to rescue his people for eternity. That's why there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so, through faith in the work of Jesus and with confidence and assurance that God will keep his promises, that's hope. What should the response be? It should be love. Love for God, hold on to him and don't let go. That's the unswerving bit. And love for his people verses 24 and 25. Love for God and love for his people. And that's why the Hebrews need each other. That's why they must not give up meeting together. They need to remind one another that all this backstory bit is true, even when God's promises aren't being fulfilled how they expect or when they expect. They need to teach it to the next generation They need to spur each other on to love and serve others and care for their needs in the midst of hardship and persecution and to encourage one another that the tougher things get, the more they can lean on God's love and faithfulness because Jesus is coming. And so I guess what I want to say is that we're really not so different, actually, from first century Jewish Christians because we have our own expectation versus reality issues when it comes to the Christian life. And these can be theological or experiential, too. And when the reality doesn't match, it can destroy our hope, our confidence that God is faithful, Um, In stark contrast to the Hebrews, uh, our culture is extremely individualistic, isn't it? And we're just not immune to that as Christians. And it can be really easy to slip into that mindset where we take the kind of here and now, nice bits, the sort of verse 22 bits of knowing Jesus personally when it suits me, my sort of spiritual bubble bath from earlier, if you like, but forget where it fits into the bigger picture of God's plans for his kingdom and his family, The problem is if we do that, then not only are we going to be shaken when real life happens to us, but our brothers and sisters will struggle without our support when real life happens to them. And, you know, there's all sorts of stats out there about the decline in church attendance over recent years, but actually there's been a decline in regular commitments in all sorts of uh, other organisations, sports, clubs, membership of this, that and the other. This is trade unions, I think. It goes downwards, that's the point. Um, And I'm sure COVID's accelerated that trend as well. And it's fair for us to just recognize that that's our culture, isn't it? But it's also fair to hold up culture to the mirror of God's word. Because the New Testament describes being a Christian as becoming part of a kingdom, a family, a body, a building, each of us parts which depend upon each other. So just as the gospel starts with the renewal of our relationship with God, so it continues in a relational way with other believers. You know, It's through each other that God's word can be shared and explored, and that allows the Holy Spirit to come and change us and help us to persevere. And it's through each other that we can experience the, re- the relational and practical love and care of God in our circumstances, the highs and the lows. Um, and guess what? We're going to spend eternity together. Well, you turn to the person, you don't have to do this, but it might be funny if we do. turn to the person next to you and say, the only bit of heaven I can see right now is you. <laughs> no one's going to do that, are they? Okay. okay. A couple of people got stuck in, that's good. I think we've made some new friendships tonight, that's nice. Let's see where that goes. Um, we're, not, we're not lone rangers as Christians, that's the point. Do you notice in our passage, in verse 25, it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What's a, what's a habit? Well, I guess in its simplest form, a habit is just what I normally do. All right? The inference in this verse is that meeting together should be what we normally do. And we're warned against normalizing, not meeting. Okay. Meeting together should be what we normally do. We're warned against normalizing, not meeting. And anecdotally, at least, it is increasingly normal in church culta- culture to meet kind of casually when it suits me, okay? And I say it takes uh, 21 days, three weeks to make or break a habit. And I can say from experience, if I've not gone to like, church or home group or whatever for, for three weeks or so, it feels like more of an effort to go back because I've actually started forming a habit of not meeting. It feels start to feel more normal to me to not meet than to come and meet. Now, look, that cultural element might not be something that affects all of us, although I think it is a big one. definitely affects me. But if you're looking for a reason to give up meeting together regularly with other Christians, I've got plenty, okay? Because there's all sorts of things that want to stop us holding on to our hope unswervingly. Now, whether that's because discouragements distract us from meeting, or because distractions discourage us from meeting. Either way, Hebrews 10 warns us that they will affect our perseverance. So here's a list. We might not face much persecution in this country right now, but increasingly our society tells us that our faith might be damaging or dangerous, or at least that it's outdated and irrelevant, and it's certainly not something to be shared with others. Sinful patterns in our lives can produce shame, which make us want to run away from God and steer clear from other Christians. Tragic events in the world or in our lives can shake us and make us blame and mistrust God. We might well, and we almost all bring specific expectations to church when we come, I think, depending on what we're used to, what we grew up with, or what we think is most important. And when we kind of don't get what we're expecting, it sometimes feels like it's just not really meeting our needs. And so we might just go off it. And of course, churches are made up of people. People don't always get on naturally. And finally, sometimes self-preservation means we just don't always feel like we've got the capacity to come out and meet because we're worn out and we've got too much on our plate already. And look, I've not even got into mental health, COVID, winter viruses, busy families, shift working, patterns, all that kind of stuff. So apologies, Andy and everybody else. If no one comes back next week, this would have been counterproductive. But I think it's good to just have some awareness that for a lot of us, actually meeting regularly with other Christians doesn't come naturally. And I'm not going to offer glib, easy answers to some of those those issues. Uh, And we need to ask the Lord uh, how we can possibly change behavior in this area and how we think about it. And it's going to be different for each of us. But the reality presented in the book of Hebrews is that life in this in-between bit is going to be hard, and that meeting together regularly is crucial to perseverance, not just for ourselves, but for God's children, his family, together, carrying each other's burdens, weeping with those who weep, lending our faith to others when they're tempted to give up theirs. So as we navigate life through the lens of god's worldview the writers of hebrews says to us each bit of the body needs to play its part as we encourage each other to see the light at the end of the tunnel i'm going to watch this this too shall pass when the morning comes this is one minute I love this final shot there of the crew like celebrating. You know, each bit of that crazy—it's uh, called a Rube Goldberg machine, isn't it? Uh, it works because the crew have worked together, and each bit does its bit, and it all links up. It's a cool video. Um, but getting getting practical then, because we're getting towards the end. Uh, what what are we supposed to do? I've, I think I've covered like why we should meet. What are we supposed to do when we meet together? Because it's not just about turning up. And it could be on a Sunday at church like this, it's great um, that we're all here together, Uh, but it could be a a small group or a prayer triplet, or there's loads of other ways that we might be meeting. And I think most helpfully, it's a a combination of these things because they all have different strengths. But what should we be doing when we meet together? Well, what should our meetings look like? I think meeting together regularly uh, should be relational and outward looking. Okay, when we meet together, we should be able to build real friendships with people, where we can feel safe and able to be open about our struggles and our doubts. You know, we should be coming with each other in mind. So it's less kind of, what can I get out of it, but more, who can I encourage? Who can I serve? Who can I pray with? Who can I welcome and befriend? You know, being part of CBC should be, feel much more like team membership, like like that. Oh no, well, steady on, we don't wanna watch it all again. Like the clip at the end of the team, um, as opposed to something like, I don't know, theater membership, okay, team membership. We're here for each other to train and work together and to support each other. And meeting regularly is, is, kind of, is a part of that because that's how we form and sustain meaningful relationships. Secondly, Jesus should be at the heart of the times we share together and should point and our time together should point us towards him. We should be ready to listen to God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to bring it alive in us and help us um, to, to work together so that we can, um, we can apply these things to our lives. Spurring one another on towards love and good deeds, as it says in our passage. And you look, you don't need to understand the whole of the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews or the whole Old Testament to become a Christian. But as you go on as a follower of Jesus, it makes sense that you'd want to know the back story. And my experience is that the more you dig, the smaller the plot holes become, not the other way around. And of course, you can go online, catch up with sermons, um, and get all kinds of resources and teaching online. Uh, But there's something about doing that in relationship as church family on a Sunday or in small groups, which means we go on the journey of knowing Jesus together. And being available to commit uh, to each other in that way so that we can do that together is is going to affect our priorities. And that's something we've got to think about. And thirdly, it should be an opportunity to worship God together in prayer or in song. uh, As we've done uh, this evening, it's just a wonderful time to draw near to him together because there's something special about God's people gathered. He's with us wherever two or three are gathered in his name. As we said at the start, And as we choose to prioritize time with God's people regularly, we've got the chance to encounter him in fresh ways as we use the gifts of the spirit, which are given for the building up of the body and sharing those times of ministry together. So what's the purpose of meeting regularly? Well, we are living in the in-between bit after Jesus's victory over sin and death and before the final day when he comes to put everything right. And it's going to be messy And in the meantime, we've been given his spirit and his word, but also his people, each other, to help us keep going until the end. Faith in Jesus and hope in God's faithfulness should prompt love, holding on to him and helping our brothers and sisters to do the same. Because of what Jesus has done, you can cling on to your heavenly father because he will absolutely keep his promises, even when everything around you is telling you otherwise. Knowing that security, do everything you can to help each other as brothers and sisters to keep going, because Jesus is coming soon. Let's pray together, and let's just bow our heads, and maybe just take a second to ask, Lord, what do I need to take away from this? Lord, where does my world view need expanding? Where does that widescreen need to be pulled back? Lord, where do my expectations of your word and your of your character or of real life just need a bit of a reset? Lord, where are the where are the barriers that are creeping in that make me want to stop meeting sometimes? What are the distractions? What are the discouragements that might lead to me giving up? And Lord, how can I love and how can I serve my church family? Yeah, and Lord, just give all these thoughts to you. We want to We want to serve you. We want to glorify you. And your word tells us we need to do that together. Lord, help us. Show us what obedience looks like in this area. And fill us with your spirit to love you and to commit to loving each other through whatever this life brings. Amen. Amen.